The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. But let's go ahead and pray together and then we'll uh, jump into it. Uh, Father, you are good. You're a good Father. And we gather as your children this evening um, in a building that you've provided, um, eating um, snacks after maybe a dinner or a day of work um, in a place that's heated. All of these things are gifts of yours. We're thankful. Um, we have friends and new friends and forming relationships. These are gifts of yours, and we give you thanks. We have your word where you've revealed yourself to us, your goodness, your glory, your grace, your plan and redemption, and mostly you've revealed to us um, through your word, by the power of your spirit, your son, Jesus. Jesus, you are um, you are the gift of God. You are the word of God made flesh. You satisfy. And so we thank you for being um, a God who is for us, a God who has um, poured out grace upon grace on us. And I thank you for the good gifts we have in this world. I pray that you'd help um, us this evening to learn more, to enjoy the gifts as gifts from your hand, from the hand of a good giver, and that we'd, in these gifts, taste and see that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of my favorite restaurants is Snooze. Um, And I'm so pumped that there's two of them because the wait is shorter. You have to find the right time to go. But if you go in the morning to Union Station, if you go early enough, you can get in pretty fast. If you go late enough, you're going to wait like an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. Um, It's my wife's favorite restaurant. Like on a birthday, we all know we go to Snooze. So if you go to Snooze, one of the things that um, you might kind of get is uh, their waiters and waitresses are allowed to gift things to you. They're allowed to gift you some sort of treat from kind of off the menu. And one of the things that we were gifted, last time we were there, we were just kind of eating our meal, and before we were getting ready to eat our meal, and before it came out, they brought this extra thing to us, and it was a pancake. And this pancake was covered with candied bacon. It had cinnamon sugar butter. That's like one thing, cinnamon sugar butter. It has white chocolate chips, it has pecans, it kind of has um, maple syrup all over it, and it's like the most amazing thing. Have, any, have, any, like, have you had this before, anybody? A couple people. Do you know what it's called? It's called the sinful pancake. It's called the sinful pancake. So they gave it to me and they said, this is the sinful pancake. And I'm like, that is, that's interesting. And, uh, and, and the reason why, why would you think they would call it the sinful pancake? Why would they call it that? So good. It's so good that it must be sinful. Right? Like, nothing that good can actually be holy or righteous to enjoy, right? Um, And you might think it's sinful because if you eat it or eat too many of them, it will probably kill you, which is probably true. Um, That's the case with anything, just for the the record. Um, But anyway, it's a sinful pancake. And I think um, when I was thinking about this night and thinking about what does it mean to enjoy the good gifts of God, I think the name of that pancake kind of dives right into a dichotomy, really a false dichotomy that a lot of us struggle through, which is that pleasure and godliness are somehow opposed to each other, like some balance. Like if you have too much pleasure, you must be like waning on godliness. And if you have more godliness, it's like the with, withholding and the abstention from pleasure. And I think a lot of people struggle through things like that. A lot of people don't. A lot of people have no grid. You just say, I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to enjoy it to the fullest. You kind of run after everything you can. You're you're kind of um, an unbridled hedonist where you have this unmitigated, unrestrained, um, kind of like open pursuit of pleasure. And you just run after pleasure. 
Um, there's different kind of deviations from, from this thing that God has designed, but God has actually designed us and designed this world in such a way that he has created us to taste and see his goodness in the midst of creation. And we're going to talk about that. What does it mean to enjoy the good gifts of God in creation and to enjoy them in ways that are healthy and godly? Um, I'm going to start off with a few different verses um, from, uh, from throughout the Bible that kind of hone in on this fact, and we'll unpack a couple things. First one is from Genesis 1. Genesis 1, God has unpacked, um, again, just uh, how he created the, the earth. So Moses has written this, and here's how God has created the earth in six days. And on the sixth day, he creates man and woman, and he blesses them, and he, and he empowers them, he gives them life, and he, and he gives them a, a mandate to exercise dominion. And after he mandates them to exercise dominion, it says this in Genesis 1.29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed, that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit, and you shall have them for food. He says, I've given you this stuff. He puts them in the middle of his good garden. That's a paradise. And he says, I've given you this. I've given it to you for you, for your food. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 4, um, kind of way fast forward in the story of God, um, some things have changed. There's, a, there's this debate among um, the people of God about what they can eat and what they should not eat, what they can enjoy and what they should not enjoy. And people are making divisions over what's appropriate to eat, what's appropriate not to eat. And in First Timothy 4, 1-5, through 5, it says this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars who con- uh, whose consciences are seared. And this is what these liars who are being influenced by demons taught, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Um, what Paul's saying now is he's addressing this doctrine, this doctrine of some sort of asceticism, this um, abstention from certain types of food, abstention from marriage, and say, kind of avoiding these different pleasures, saying these things are things that, that God forbids. And he's saying these, these are liars. God hasn't forbidden these things. He's actually given you these things, and they're good. And they're to be received with thanksgiving as gifts from a good God. Everything from marriage to food. Um, Andy Crouch defines culture as the things we make of the world, right? the stuff we make of the world. So you can think of just food like strawberries from a garden. That's great. Um, what about strawberry shortcake? Like, is that still like a gift from God? Strawberry shortcake's still a gift from God, right? It's like we as humans are cultivating this earth. We're using our gifts to take the things that he has made and to use the creative energies that he's given us to make other things of the world, to continue to build culture and society, to make good foods, to enjoy those things, to make homes and to make different artifacts and to create culture. And all of these things are still evidence of God's goodness. James 1 says this, James 1.16, Um, Right after James has dealt with desires and how desires can lead to, unrestrained desires that aren't ruled by the reign of God can lead to sin and corruption and death. And James says, but don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's saying every good gift 
Every perfect gift is from above. Um, everything that is good in this whole world, everything under the sun that is good, the things you've enjoyed, the things you've tasted, friendships, food, life, your job, the mountains, the sun, the, 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 the beach that you've gone to in the summer or in the winter to escape the cold that we've been experiencing. It's all good. These are all good gifts that flow down from God as evidences of his goodness. And we are called to enjoy them as good gifts. Um, Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above shows his handiwork. Um, That God's created these things to show us something about who he is and what he's like. And so as we look at the things of this earth, We're supposed to look at them, and and as we see their goodness and taste their goodness and experience their goodness, we're supposed to ask, what must God be like? God created these things, or created our ability to create these things, to show us something about what he's like. And so we taste, and we see, and we experience these gifts, and we say, what must God be like? And so, again, I think of everything from strawberries in the garden to a nice bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch at 11 p.m., it's phenomenal. I see nods, right? Cereal at night's the best thing in the world. Or a glass of wine, or 120-minute IPA. Um, these are gifts of God, and we're supposed to receive these gifts as gifts from a generous Father. We're supposed to receive them with thanksgiving. So when you see these gifts, you say, these are gifts given by a generous Father for you to enjoy. Maybe it's the beauty of the sun setting over the mountains, or the delight of watching kids run and jump into a pile of leaves or watching kids laugh as they jump from like furniture to furniture, avoiding the lava, the imaginary lava that's like filling our living room, right? Like it's the joy of watching kids laugh. These are gifts that I see that and the joy that comes. These are gifts given to me by a generous father for me to enjoy. Or or maybe it's the first kiss or your honeymoon or, or years of matured sex and marriage. These are gifts pleasurable, good gifts that God has given for us to enjoy. Or maybe for you, you love decorating things. It's a perfectly decorated living room or the house that that you've kind of worked hard on creating an environment where you can host people and make people feel home. These are gifts given by God for you to enjoy. Or last night, a house full of rowdy friends cheering and eating wings, watching the football game, watching the Broncos win. These are gifts given by a generous God for you to enjoy, to give thanks to him, to enjoy those gifts. These are all gifts, and and as we think about the gifts of God, um, what does it mean to enjoy them as gifts? Our tendency as humans is to take the gifts and to turn away from him. So as you think about how sin enters the story, and you're thinking about, well, what about sin, and what about idolatry? Romans 1 presses into that exact fact as it talks to us about how to respond to um, creation, this good, good creation. And in Romans 1, Paul says this, starting in verse 19. He says, what can be known about God is plain to them, plain to humans who have turned from him, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world. So since he created, in creation, he's shown us his divine nature, his beauty, his magnificence, his power, his wisdom. He's shown us his ability to orchestrate seasons and to create people that have minds and energy and animals that are beautiful and graceful and bizarre and weird. And we see these things and, and we should say, what is God like? 
There's clearly a God, but what we tend to do instead, and what Paul confronts here, he says, they have, he says we're supposed to see that in these things that have been made. But he says, so they're without excuse. For although they knew God, or these things should have shown them what God is like, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so they actually did not take the gifts and say, God, thank you, these are gifts from you, but they treated creation as the God itself. So they created the, treated the gift as the thing that's good instead of, instead of seeing the gift as what it is, which is a gift that should point our eyes to the goodness of the giver. Right? So we live in a world where we taste and see the goodness of God all over the place. You go to the mountains and you can worship the mountains, or you can ski in the mountains and enjoy the snow in the mountains because God has given you this gift. And you can give thanks to him. True worship is marked by thanking God and being grateful to God for the gifts that he's given to us. And idolatry comes in when we actually treat the gifts as the good itself, as the end. And so what I want to talk about just for a few minutes and give you some room to think about is how do you actually approach the gifts of God in ways that are healthy? So how do you create gospel rhythms in your life for healthy enjoyment of these gifts? That you don't ignore God as the giver and the giver of these good gifts, and you don't ignore the, the, the role of these gifts as things that evidence to you and show you something about what God's like, to avoid that, what do you do? And I just have three quick things. Um, the first is gratitude, to practice gratitude. Romans 1 kind of went right at it, where Romans 1 says, again, they did not acknowledge God or give thanks to him, but we're supposed to give thanks to him. Um, Psalm 136 says over and over and over as it talks about what God has done in the world. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. So one of the battles that people have as we think about enjoying the gifts of God is you think, do I need to be skiing down the mountains thinking like, God's good, God's good, God's good, God's good. Like, and if I forget to say God's good while I'm skiing down the mountains, then all of a sudden I'm an idolater. No. No. Think about, I think about my kids at Christmas. I, they wake up, they run out. I've, I'm like the guy at Christmas that's like, as soon as we get the gifts, I want to give them to my kids now. Like, I don't want to wait till Christmas morning. I'm like, my wife has to restrain me from like saying, let's create a new kind of like three days before Christmas tradition where we open the gifts early. I want them to enjoy these gifts. We pick them out for the kids. I want them to enjoy the gifts. I don't want them to be like, oh, you gave me gifts. I don't care to open them. I'm just so thankful that you're such a great giver. I'm like, no, freaking open the gifts. You know, like, it's so cool. I'm so excited for you to have this gift that I picked out for you. Right? And I I think that's what God's like as a father. Like, he's created the world for us to enjoy. Now, if my kids took the gifts and started fighting each other and stealing them away from each other and having this fit, never saying thank you, now all of a sudden something's happened. They've forgotten the generosity of a father who gave them to this. They weren't entitled to these gifts. They didn't earn these gifts. They didn't deserve these gifts. These are gifts that we gave to them out of our bounty, out of what God has given to us. Right? I think as Christians, that's what we're called to do, is to, show, um, is to show people what God's like as we enjoy the gifts, like run hard after them. C.S. Lewis will talk about this, talks about something called quiddity, which is like the substance of things. To actually look at the gifts of God, to look at a strawberry or a strawberry shortcake, and to just like marvel, to rub your nose in it, he'll say. Like rub your nose in it and just consider that God made this. Like the strawberry, you just grab it and God made it. It's amazing. And enjoy it. And then give him thanks. Right? Mealtime prayers. So I'm going to like a few things that like create rhythms in your life. Mealtime prayers are a massive um, opportunity for us to create these, these kind of rhythms in our life where we say, God, thank you. To not blast through it. 
That's what we do almost every night for our mealtime prayers with our families. We just say, hey, what are the blessings God's given us? And we'll talk about the food, we talk about the day, and whatever it is. And then we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Just saying, these are the blessings God's given us. Let's praise him, because these are from him, right? Um, We do that, whether it's in the morning or in the evening, taking time, what are the things that God has given us, and how do we give thanks to him? Uh, I grew up in a Catholic tradition, Catholic church, and uh, this mealtime prayer was something that, for me, was like one big, long word that you said in one breath. It was like, blessed is the Lord, and these are gifts which are about to see from the body of Christ, Lord, and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You know, and I didn't even know what it meant until like years later, I was like, what was that prayer? It's like, it's a beautiful prayer, actually. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts which are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Like, what a beautiful thing. Like, bless us and these gifts which we're about to receive because they're they're from your bounty. They're, They're from, you are the fountain and these gifts are overflowing to us through Christ. What an amazing thing. To actually create rhythms, thoughtful rhythms, not just routines. Get past the one-breath prayers and the kind of standard things you do and think about the gifts that God has given you. And create rhythms in your life every day for gratitude. Rhythms for gratitude. Secondly, create rhythms for fasting. That sounds crazy when we're talking about enjoying the good gifts of God. But I think it helps us to enjoy them rightly. Matthew 6 will talk about fasting. and It says, when you fast, Jesus says, when you fast in the Sermon on the Mount, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. And he says, he says, but when you fast, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. So even in fasting, what we're doing is we're learning that these are gifts, they're not the giver. That these are rays of sun, they're not the sun. That these are streams of water, they're not the fountain. That these are drops, they're not the ocean. That these are things that that aren't the the source of pleasure. God is. And so actually creating rhythms in your life to restrain yourself, to remember that as you do enjoy the good gifts of God, and when you take time to enjoy them, that they are not the fountain. They aren't the fountain of the pleasure. They're things that flow from Him. Right, so to create rhythms in your life and fasting. There's a fantastic book I have here um, where John Piper kind of walks through that. It's called The Hunger for God. Um, it's Desiring God Through Fasting and Prayer. Just want to encourage you in that for us as we walk into Lent, um, starting tomorrow. Um, historically for the church, it's been a season of taking something, a good gift, a good desire, and saying, for this season, I'm actually going to withhold and I'm going to restrain myself from that desire to remember again and again and again that God is the fountain of everything that's good, and to teach myself to long for him, to hunger for him, to taste the desire for him to come, and to make all things new, that we would enjoy him fully. So rhythms of fasting. Um, And the last one, uh, besides rhythms of fasting, is rhythms of generosity. And I want you to, um, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Timothy 6. We'll kind of end here. 1 Timothy 6 says this, starting in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age... He's talking to people who have been given much. And in this, he does not assume rich riches is a sin. He's saying, for those who are rich, here's how you should think about your riches and what God has entrusted to you. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Right? God can take anything away. Job is the perfect example of God taking everything away. Don't put your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but put your hope on God who richly provides us with everything 
to enjoy. So as you have these riches and as you have abundance and all the gifts that God has given you, don't put your hope in your riches. Don't put your hope in your abundance. Put your hope in God who gave you the abundance to enjoy. So you say, God, thank you for this. I want to enjoy this, but I'm not going to put my hope in it. You can enjoy a gift without putting your hope in it. Right? And one of the things that God tends to do is he tends to, when we start putting our hope too much in stuff, it's a mercy. It's a severe mercy. He'll shake our life up to remind us of the uncertainty and the instability of the things that, that we're putting our feet on, to remind us that these things are shakable, and it helps us put our feet on him um, because he is unshakable. But listen to what he goes on and says. He says, he says rather, so, so put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He says, rather there to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So if God has entrusted you with much or whatever God has entrusted you with and it actually is much whether or not you think it to be you're to see those things as things that God has given you to enjoy. You set your hope on God and you steward those things which Marco will talk about later. You steward those things in ways that reflect the generosity of God. And when you reflect the generosity of God and you give and you sacrificially give, then God, through you, displays something of his glory and you begin to taste and see more of him. And he is the fountain of all that's good. You begin to take hold of that which is truly life, which is not in the things of this earth. Right? And that's exactly what we were talking about on Sunday in Philippians 4. That, that Paul learned the secret of being content, content whether in abundance or in need, in poverty or hunger or, or plenty, Because God was enough. Jesus is enough. He is sufficient. And his grace is sufficient. And God teaches us to enjoy his sufficiency, both in giving us good gifts and learning how to enjoy them in abundance and rightfully, and in his taking away to remind us that he is the fountain of all that's good. So I encourage you as you think about about creating rhythms in your life, to have rhythms for generosity, rhythms for fasting, and rhythms for gratitude. Um, That God would continue to help us to actually enjoy the gifts that he's given us, to run hard after them, to enjoy them, but not to set our hope on them. There's a lot more that can be said, but I want to shut it down. Um, let's go ahead and pray one more time. I'm going to give you some room to discuss. Um, God, thank you for your goodness to us. Even as discussions happen, I pray that you would cultivate in us awe and wonder, that we would think about the gifts you've given and say, what must you be like? You are a good, good Father. Overwhelm us with your goodness in Christ's name.